When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. From NJ.com, this is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Welcome on in, Giants fans, to episode 167 of the Talk is Cheap podcast right here on NJ.com. As always, I'm Matt Lombardo and joined once again by my friend and colleague Daryl Slater, who is back in the mix. The Giants certainly not in the mix in the NFC East, but this week in Philadelphia on Monday night is going to look a lot different for this Giants team, Daryl. Good to be back, Matt. And uh, yeah, while I was gone, it was more of the same for the Giants. Uh, lost in Chicago 2-10, and 10, uh, returned, uh, I did last week for the uh, Packer game, another loss. Uh, now they're 2-10, and 10, eight straight losses, and uh, they're at the point now where they are simply trying to just avoid some dubious history. If they lose Monday night in Philadelphia, they'll tie their longest losing streak in franchise history and then come home to play the hapless Dolphins. And yeah, they're still hapless, even though they've won a few games. Uh, and if they lose that game, then, then Pat Shermer's got to be out the door in 10 straight losses. But, uh, and there would only be two games remaining, so you don't really need to worry about how yeah. that impacts Daniel Jones' development now versus... Correct. Like we talked about uh, going into the bye week when they lost to the Jets, you still had six games remaining where you can make the argument that changing coaches at that stage could have really hampered Daniel Jones' development. You don't want him to have three coaches in his first two seasons. If you go to an interim head coach, whether it's Mike Shula or Thomas McGahee, you kind of take that off the table if you lose these next two games and certainly the news of this week with Daniel Jones getting hurt with the what Pat Shermer is calling a moderate high ankle sprain um, and you learn, all signs now point to Eli Manning starting on Monday but with that being the case there's really not a whole lot to evaluate with Pat Shermer or Daniel Jones especially if Jones doesn't play again so two more losses will be 10 straight defeats and Daryl I think that that's kind of the line of demarcation for Shermer is if he loses to the Dolphins I, I don't see the Giants waiting around and um, having him coach against Washington the final week and then Philadelphia to close it out? No, I mean they shouldn't. That should be it. Uh, they should pull the plug at that point. I mean, the guy's 7-21 and 21 right now, and at that point he would be 7-23. and 23. Obviously, though, I mean, still, the Giants have four games left, and they are a bad team, obviously, so they could lose to, to any of their opponents. But none of these games are against teams that are, you know, lights out. I mean, the Eagles have had their struggles this season. The Giants play them uh, twice in the final four games. And then, of course, Washington and the Dolphins are both terrible. Again, the Giants are also terrible. So they could lose any of these games. Uh, but it's not a situation like last week against the Packers where it seemed a foregone conclusion that the Giants were going to lose that game, and they did. Uh, this, is a, this is a deal here where, you know, 
could the Giants win out? I think I'd be really surprised if they did, uh, but it's it's possible, I suppose. And uh, you know, if they do, then you never know with Pat Shermer. But it's looking more and more likely that he's a goner, uh, and it's looking fairly likely that Daniel Jones' rookie season is over, even though Pat Shermer's left the door open ajar for him to uh, to potentially return this this season. And you know, they want they that would be great if he could get another game or two for the Giants to get a, in, in a better eval on this kid. No doubt about it, because every snap that he takes, every game that he plays as a rookie, it's kind of laying the foundation for what you hope he does moving forward into his second year. We'll talk about that, talk about what his injury means, the fact that Eli Manning is returning, the impact of that on the locker room and certainly on the offense. But before we get into that, a little bit of housekeeping, of course, if we like if you like what you hear, we'd love if you would subscribe in the Apple Podcast Store, on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spreaker, and all of your favorite podcast platforms. You can throw us a like on YouTube as well. And we'd love if you would follow the show on Twitter. I'm at Matt Lombardo NFL. Daryl is at Daryl Slater. And of course, at Talk is Cheap NYG is how you follow the podcast. And Daryl, I think that the Daniel Jones versus Eli Manning um, impact on the offense is a good place to start here because we could talk about how severely Daniel Jones is injured and the fact that he played through the injury on Sunday through the whole second half, the fact that he played through the injury at Duke and he only missed two games due to a broken clavicle, and all we hear about is how tough this kid is, but all signs are now pointing to Eli Manning playing on Monday night, and it's going to be fascinating to see how this offense changes, if at all, and if they're able to be any more effective against the Eagles in a defense that's really taken its lumps in recent weeks than they were earlier in the season against Dallas and Buffalo before Eli Manning was benched. Yeah, I don't... I think the chances are slim that he comes back and, and lights it up and transforms this offense into something legitimate. I think it's probably slim, even against an Eagles defense that's overall a pretty good defense but has not played particularly great lately. Uh, so, yeah, I think the chances are, are fairly slim that that happens. He obviously does some, some better things than Daniel Jones does. I mean, Evan Ingram was pretty candid about that yesterday in the locker room talking about uh, you know, the ball comes out in a more timely manner with, with Eli Manning than it does with Dan, Daniel Jones in terms of getting the ball out quickly and in the correct time, whereas Daniel Jones might hold the ball too long, he might rush the ball out. That's typical rookie quarterback stuff, and I thought that was good stuff from Ingram. But, yeah. you know, that that alone, I mean, doesn't guarantee that, that Eli Manning is going to transform this offense. The guy's 38. He hasn't played in three months. This is a totally new situation for him in his career. He's never done anything like this. So, uh, yeah, I think the... the the, the bar is low here. Yeah, and kind of some cruel irony for the Giants. This is going to be the first time that they potentially have Golden State, Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram, and Saquon Barkley all on the field yeah. together. But Daniel Jones is out. And you just look at that, and you can talk about the things that Daniel Jones has struggled with. And we've, we've written about it. We've talked about it on this podcast. We both tweeted about it. That you know, protecting the football, ball security in the pocket, all of those things are, are things he's going to have to improve on going into his second year. But I think the one area where, uh, I don't know about you, Daryl, but I, I've been pretty impressed is he's made some really big-time throws. You look at the touchdown pass to Golden Tate against the Bears. You look at some of the throws in the snow, the touchdown pass to Sterling Shepard last week, some of the yeah. deep balls to uh, Darius Slayton. Pat Shermer said over and over that the one thing he and the Giants really like about Jones is he has a downfield mindset. 
And I don't think Eli Manning at this stage of his career has had that type of a mentality for the last couple of seasons. So it's going to be fascinating to see what is Darius Slayton's role in this scheme with all of those weapons back on the field. How often do they try to push the ball downfield? Or is this the game where Saquon Barkley has 11 or 12 catches on dump-offs behind the line of scrimmage, very similar to what we saw in the opener against the Cowboys last season, or week two last season, rather? Eli Manning just isn't capable at this stage of his career of pushing the ball down the field on a consistent basis. So I think, you know, yeah, this is a game where you're probably going to see a lot of short passes, a lot of reliance on Saquon Barkley in the running game and short passing game. And Pat Shermer can talk all he wants about how the offense isn't going to be different. It's definitely going to be different. I mean, Daniel Jones gives the Giants a mobility factor that Eli Manning doesn't have and really had, never really had to a large degree, especially in recent years. So, uh, yeah, you'll see a, a different look from this offense, but yeah, I don't know if it's going to result in anything uh, more spectacular than, than what you've seen so far. Uh, and that that is crazy to think about, though, the big four offensively for the Giants in terms of their skill position players. They've all now been hurt this season at one point or another. And uh, now with Golden Tate coming back from his concussion and uh, Evan Ingram looking like he's going to be coming back from his foot injury this week, the big four all together. Uh, but not with uh, not without their point guard yeah. or their, their quarterback, to use a cross sport metaphor there. With, without their guy Daniel Jones, so who knows? I mean, uh, the result of this game in a, in a vacuum is not really, you know hugely important. I know it is for Pat Shermer, but for a Giants team that is really out of the playoffs, I think a lot of fans are looking at this and saying, all we care about is the development of Daniel Jones because it's a foregone conclusion that Pat Shermer's gone. And I think that's, you know, that's fair. And I I think that's pretty accurate because, and, and I talked about this a little bit today in an interview that I did. You know, you look at putting Pat Shermer and Eli Manning back on the field together, whether it's for one game, two games, the final four games of the season, if we've seen the last of Daniel Jones, whatever the scenario is. There's really nothing to be gleaned here because Eli Manning has no future with the Giants unless they decide and he decides to come back on a team-friendly deal as Daniel Jones' backup. Uh, There's nothing, in my opinion at least, and I don't know how you feel about this, Daryl, but there's nothing as long as Eli Manning is playing that can be evaluated or gleaned about Pat Shermer because – Pat Shermer's future, if it's not already been decided by this eight-game, potentially 9-10, 11-12-game losing streak to finish out the season, it's already been decided. In, at least, you know, they've already, already either decided that wins and losses did not matter this season, and they believe he's the coach to help mentor Daniel Jones and he'll be back, or that they know that he's a dead coach walking, so to speak. There's nothing, in my opinion, that can be changed about Shermer's future with Eli Manning as the quarterback. Yeah, no, I think there's, that's fair. I do think if they win out, Manning is with them for every game. I think that helps Pat Shermer. I think that definitely helps him. Have they, have John Mara and Steve Tisch made a decision yet? That's interesting to consider. I, you know, I wouldn't think that they have. I think that they, they would take it all into account and look at it and look at everything, including the defense, including uh, the progress of the young players on that side of the ball, and say, you know, where do we go from here? It's it's unfortunate for. You know, for Giant fans who were trying to gather something out of the season and for Jones himself, and really for, for the ownership as they tried to get uh, a clear picture of Pat Shermer, it's unfortunate that Daniel Jones isn't out there because you're not getting an evaluation of the coach based on who he's going to have going forward. And right. That's, that's Daniel Jones. So, And we don't know when they hired Pat Shermer, Daryl, if they hired him, and we haven't had a chance to talk to Dave Gettleman about this or John Merrill or Steve Tisch. We'll get to Tisch in a moment here. But we don't know if... 
Pat Shermer sat across from these guys in an interview and said, I can win with Eli Manning for this year and then develop the quarterback. And they said, great, you're on board. Or they saw what he did in Minnesota and thought, he's the guy that we want to develop Eli's successor. Um, to me, that that's the question that's going to be most fascinating. And, and the answer is going to be decided on whether he's back next year or not. Because if they believe that he's the guy to develop Daniel Jones, then if you're going to be smart about Jones's development, you bring him back. But if they thought that he was going to win some games, keep you competitive, and follow Dave Gettleman's misguided plan of winning while building, those results aren't there. So I think the only way that Pat Shermer's back is if there's already been some sort of assurance that he's here regardless of wins and losses, and they just need to see progress out of Jones. Yeah, because the wins and losses down the stretch are hollow, and to a degree, yeah, I think. But um, I think they also want to see, does he keep this team together? Um, can he keep the infighting that happened with, with Ben McAdoo away from this locker room? And so, so far, he's been able to do that, Pat Shermer has. So, um, we'll see. I mean, I, I think one thing's for sure. If he loses the next two games, he's gone. Yes. If he somehow sprinkles in a couple wins here, he could still be gone. But uh, Probably but, gone after week 17. Yeah, but probably gone after week 17. So, I would say the, the, the likelihood of Pat Shermer being fired at this point is probably 90%. Uh, and there's a little 10% sliver in there chance that he somehow manages to win out, manages to maybe get Daniel Jones back for a game or two, show some glimmer of hope, make it six wins after five last year. I, I just don't see any way he's back with four or three wins or two, obviously. Right. And maybe if he wins five games again, but it's, it's really hard to envision that. I think I think it's going to take four now, and I think it's going to take at least one or two of those games being Daniel Jones and uh, and to, to inject some, some last-minute hope into this season. Because Daniel Jones actually had been playing much, much better, and I'm sure you guys have talked about it while I was gone. He had been playing much, much better. Um, until that Packer game. The previous yeah. four games, he had been lights out. 11 touchdowns, one interception, uh, quarterback rating over 100. And that's what you want to see from a rookie quarterback, a guy who improves as the season goes on. And he was doing that. He was unquestionably doing that. So that's a plus for Pat Shermer. It's just that the turnovers have been too much of an issue with Jones. It's and tough to compete when you turn the ball over yes. 21 times in 11 starts. It's it's yeah. very difficult in the yeah. NFL. Yeah. I, I don't care if you have a 15-year veteran quarterback or a rookie quarterback. Whoever you are, if you're turning the football over at that high and that alarming of a rate, you're not going to win many games. And the defense has been non-competitive. I agree. And so that, that I understand he's an offensive-minded coach, but you know the totality of it all does not bode well for Patcher. And I think that we got a little bit of a glimpse into what the Giants are thinking when Steve Tisch was honored at a charity event and he caught up with Bruce Beck of NBC4. And Bruce asked him his state of Dave Gettleman and Pat Shermer and if he would give a vote of confidence. And Tisch basically came out and said that at the end of the season, him and John Mara are going to sit down and have a very honest conversation about the future and where this team is headed. That's not a vote of confidence in either one of those guys. And I have to wonder, Daryl, if both of these guys aren't completely on the hot seat. We talk all about Pat Shermer, and you brought up an interesting point about whether he's lost the locker room, and you talk to players on and off the record, and these guys are playing for him. They still believe in him. They still believe he's a good coach, a good man, all of those things. But I do wonder if and when Pat Shermer is fired, if it's not a sweeping house cleaning where Dave Gettleman is caught up in it too. I think he, I think more likely than not, Dave Gettleman stays because the, the ownership has, has hitched its wagon to Dave Gettleman and his plan here. So, uh, 
that's awfully tough to fire a GM after just two years like that, especially in the year that he drafted a quarterback. I know the Jets did it uh, in 2013-2014. They fired John Isaac after two years. He drafted the quarterback, Geno Smith, the first year. Uh, but, I, you know, I, I think it's really unlikely that he gets fired. And I know Mike McCagnan got fired uh, it was after Sam Darnold's first year. But McCagnan had had longer. He had 15, 16, 17, and 18. He yeah. had four years to, to get that figured out. So and the Jets um, also fired him after a draft, yeah, which is just of it was insane. I think he unbelievable. Deserved, well, he deserved to be fired after the season. But, you know, in, in obviously, it's clear with how poor his drafts have turned out. But, um but I think to fire a GM after two years, even though a lot of Dave Gettleman's moves, yes, have been questionable, but to do it after two years and do it in the after the year that the, they, he drafts a quarterback, that's why I think the Giants are going to look at this. John Maris, he's going to look at this and say, you know, let's let Dave Gettleman have some input into this next head coaching hire, and he should have some input. He shouldn't make the decision unilaterally, of course. He hasn't earned that right. It should be a meritish decision uh, on the next head coach, but I, I don't think Dave Gettleman gets fired. I think... I think, you know, as much as I disagree with some of the things he's done, I think it would be the wrong move to just hit the reset button now when you're already in midstream of a, of a rebuild. You know, show some conviction and show some um, intuitiveness with this GM. I mean, the, the counter argument to that I mean, is I, that you've had three draft classes where you're picking in the top six. Yep. And you, if the season ended today, and I think this is a, a pretty good chance, and, and again, I, I'm not going to be picking the Giants to win a game the rest of the year. We're just going to put that out there right now, barring some sort of injury uh, for the opponent or some sort of massive turnaround in what we see from the Giants' defense and if the offense starts going around Barkley or whatever. I, I think 2-14 and 14 is where this team finishes. So if that's the case, you're probably picking second overall for the second time in three years. They're going to have over $60 million in cap space, which is probably around the 8th or 10th most in the league. So they have all the resources and wherewithal that they need they, they, the shine is starting to come off of that 2018 draft with you know Barkley being banged up and not really looking himself for much of the year. Will Hernandez regressing in a significant way, especially as a run blocker, missing assignments, not diagnosing what he's seeing from front sevens. Um, B.J. Hill needing to be replaced in a trade by, by Leonard Williams, kind of disappearing. The lack of a big step forward from Lorenzo Carter. And then, of course, DeAndre Baker looking like a first-round bust and not really getting much from this draft class outside of Jones and a little bit from Dexter Lawrence um, that were there. I, I don't know that, that Dave Gettleman, given the resources that he's had and the draft picks that he's had, um, that, that you're not just further digging the hole the longer that you have a non-progressive thinking, non-analytics-driven general manager in that position with the amount of resources you have coming into this offseason. The bottom line is the hire was, was questionable in the first place. Um, but look, I... I, I don't think it's a situation where Mara and Tish are going to look at it and, and bail this quickly on him. I don't. I think that they feel less cynically and a little bit different about Gettleman than, than we do from an outside objective uh, perspective. And, and you know, they obviously have a closer relationship with him than we do, so they, you know, have a little bit more loyalty there. But I think the hire was, was 
a questionable one from the get-go. Um, just like the Shermer hire one was, you hired a retread coach uh, who didn't win in Cleveland. I know the talent level wasn't good, but he's obviously not a very good head coach. With Gettleman, you hired an old-school thinking general manager who, as you mentioned, is not really a progressive thinker and who has kind of whiffed on a couple of these. Uh, dra- I mean, the jury's still out on, on Jones. And Saquon Barkley is a very good player when healthy. So let, let's, let's just put that aside. But in terms of the middle rounds of the draft, where a GM really earns his keep, that's where See, that's where Mike McCagnan couldn't do jack squat. In the middle rounds, he was terrible. And look, Jamal Adams, a really good player. Um, and Sam Darnold, who knows? But you know, anyone can pick. More likely than not, you pick in the top six, you're probably, you do it three or four times, you're likely going to get at least one or two good players out of that. So, uh, the, you know, the Giants picking high in the draft again this year, obviously, would reflect poorly on the record. But, I mean, Gettleman had nothing to do with the fact that they pick high in 2018 in the draft. So, uh, but it did make the picks. And again, I defended the Saquon Barkley pick for a lot of reasons because you were dropping an elite running back into an offense with with Odell Beckham when he was here and Sterling Shepard and Evan Ingram. And if, if you didn't like any of the quarterbacks in the 2018 class, I thought you take the best player, you try to goose the Jets into thinking you were going to take Sam Darnold and you move back, get a couple picks for him, still get Barkley a little bit cheaper, but you'd have a ready-made offense to drop your future quarterback in in 2019, but the moment that you pivoted and traded Odell Beckham Jr., and you look at the talent drain in the, from this building the last couple years with the trade of Olivier Vernon and letting Landon Collins walk and, and, and on and on and on, trading Jason Pierre-Paul and never really adequately replacing his production. All of those things, in my opinion, go against Gettleman in the ledger, and I also think that by not sticking with Odell and keeping that sort of space-creating um, speedster at wide receiver, you kind of undid any of the goodwill or the good reasoning behind taking Parkway in the first place. If you, in the bigger picture, if you are going to trade away assets for draft picks, that's basically telling you know your fan base we're rebuilding through the draft, which is which is the way to do it. It really is draft and develop your guys. That's the way to rebuild through the draft. And that Mike Cagman said that, and I hate. You know, Keep bringing them up, but you know you're talking about the, the you know Howie Roseman, the same similar way. situation. You rebuild through the draft, but guess what you have to do? You have to draft good players. If you draft terrible players, the rebuilding through the draft doesn't work. It just doesn't. And and I know you know the jury is still out on DeAndre Baker, uh, who has had a pretty rough rookie year. It's really hard to thrive as a quarterback as a rookie in the NFL. Very hard to do. Uh, you know, we'll see what Jones becomes. But you mentioned some of the other middle round picks who have been less. Than uh, stellar. And Lorenzo Carter is a perfect example of a player who has not taken this next step in his second year and was at a major position of need for this team in terms of pass rusher and, and really hasn't delivered on what the Giants had hoped. And and when you pick a guy in the third round, you think, you know, we're, you know yeah. you think yep. we're likely to get a, get pretty, a starting caliber pretty good player. player, right? It can go either way in the third round. But that's where. Like I said, good GMs separate themselves from bad ones. And if you can't find guys in the middle rounds uh, when you're rebuilding through the draft, you're doomed. You're absolutely doomed. Go back and look at what the Jets did from, and, and I know it's, you know, you're talking about two different franchises, but this team is rebuilding just like the Jets have been trying to do for years now. The reason the Jets have been unable to get over the hump with these continual rebuild after rebuild after rebuild is because they can't draft for Jack squat in the middle rounds of the draft, if you'll go back from 2008 to now, that's like a decade. 
ever since they got David Harris in, in 2007 in the second round, um, and that was the Revis draft, they have not done anything in the middle rounds of the draft. That's where you build your roster, and, yeah. and that's why they're terrible, and that's why the Giants are in a really rough spot. And to be fair, I did kind of a deep dive on Monday into why the Giants are where they are and why they've only won 10 games since 2017, the fewest of any team in the entire NFL. And and Dave Gettleman doesn't deserve all of the blame. I think he deserves a lion's share of the blame. And the longer that you keep him, I think you're stunting the development of the roster, the talent that you're bringing in based on his track record of talent acquisition and kind of where you're going from here. But to your point, Daryl, go back and look at Jerry Reese's drafts in 2015, and, and typically it takes three to four seasons before you can fully evaluate a draft class or a rookie's career. Daryl, they don't have one player on the roster from 2015. That's four years ago. An entire draft class yeah. gone. Same that, as the Jets. That, that sets a franchise <laughs> back five to ten years. That's not being hyperbolic. It, it is so difficult to replace that kind of talent, and that's how you wind up going uh, to seven with, of eight years without making the postseason by having those sort of whiffs. Yep. And go go one more point on Gettleman and kind of tying it into to Daniel Jones. His tenure is going to be remembered in large part by how Jones develops. If Jones winds up being a franchise quarterback and leads the Giants on Super Bowl runs or deep playoff runs, I think a lot will be forgiven in the long run. But if he's not, then that's going to make this tenure even more disastrous. But uh, in the event that we've seen the last of Daniel Jones, Daryl, what are, what are one or two things you think he needs to do better with next year? No, I think you, you covered it in, in something you wrote today. Uh, and I think, obviously, the turnovers, you know, we know that. Um, but one kind of, uh, you know, more nuanced thing is, you know, he's got to take ownership of this team and he's got to make this team his own. Uh, Sam Darnold, a, a quiet guy, just like Daniel Jones, stepped into the Jets this year and made the Jets his own. Obviously, they had hiccups and issues, you know, from his mono to all these other things. Right. Uh, and his own talent, you know, might be a problem, too, in his own skills, not being what the Jets had hoped. Uh, so, but I think Jones has to step in next year. Eli Manning won't be around. This is going to be his team. He needs to make this his team. He needs to cut down on the turnovers. He needs to build on the field awareness where he can spot those downfield opportunities in the way that he's done really well this year. I mean, that throw in the snow that we saw the other day against the Packers for the touchdown was, was a great throw. And he's made a few of those from time to time. But the decision-making has got to be better on some of these interceptions. And the ball security of the pocket has to be better. Has to be. I mean, a, what, 11 lost fumbles? Yeah. 11 lost fumbles. Yeah. And, and, and in 11 games. And because he, he lost one in the, in the first game when he didn't start against the Cowboys, what a, what a sign of things to come that one up being. Anyway, just and 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 for the people out there rolling their eyes and saying he's a rookie and he's going to make mistakes, let him develop. Here's the deal: he he had a fumbling issue at Duke. This was part of the package with him. And again, I, I think if you asked me to rate where he is in terms of his chance to be a franchise quarterback, I, I think there's a there's a lot to work with there. I think his deep ball accuracy is fine. I think that he is more than athletic enough. I think he has the temperament and the intelligence to, to want to learn and improve, part of it comes down to coaching. And I think that along with the ball security and protecting the football and not turning it over and throwing interceptions, he has to get better at beating shell coverages, which teams threw at him ever since the Patriot game, and it's kind of been his kryptonite. And I think that he also has to do a much better job of getting the Giants in position with the running game and calling out what he sees from the front seven and getting him into better looks and audibling and all of those things. And you look at, at great teams, Daryl. You look at the teams with the great young quarterbacks, whether it's Patrick Mahomes 
in Kansas City, going to the AFC Championship game his second year. What Lamar Jackson's doing, playing at an MVP caliber level in his second year. Jared Goff going to the Super Bowl in his third year. Carson Wentz going from a middling quarterback, kind of where Jones is now, to an MVP caliber season in 2017. These guys all take their biggest leaps from year one to year two, and there's a common denominator there. Look at these teams. You look at the Ravens, Hollywood Brown, speedster, deep threat wide receiver. The Eagles knew they needed to get more talent around Wentz. They went out and got Alshon Jeffrey and put him at wide receiver. The Rams put him traded a really good line. No doubt about it. The Rams go out and get Brandon Cooks, and they had Todd Gurley there, another speedy, game-breaking wide receiver. The Giants need to go get that talent and build it around Jones, but Jones also needs to do his part and improve over this offseason as well. Yep, no doubt. It's it's just so so interesting to see that the Giants being in the same position here that the, that the Eagles were with Wentz going into his second year, and the, and the Jets were earlier this offseason. And the Jets tried, right? went out and got Le'Veon Bell and, and Jameson Crowder, and they and tried to what build they around him. And what the GMs previously were, you know, came before Joe Douglas, whether it was McCagnum, whether it was Idzik, what they forgot is you have to build an offensive line. And that's another area where the Giants are in a tough situation because the line is not good enough. They have one player. I think Kevin Zeitler would start on 25 to 30 NFL teams. I don't know that I can say that about any of the other line. No chance. You definitely can. And then, and that's a problem. And because, you know, is. All the window dressing that the Jets went out and got this offseason, all the bells and whistles, Crowder and Bell, uh, and they brought back Robbie and well, you know, Robbie Anderson in a restricted free agent deal, so he was back. And Darnold in his second year, and the quarterback whisperer Gase is the coach. They're terrible, and they're terrible on offense. And it largely, yes, injuries are a factor, but the offensive line is a problem. It's almost like you can see what the Giants are going to be next year. They're not going to have as much cap space as the Jets did in 2018 to work with, but you can see exactly where this is going next year unless they figure out some solutions in the long run. No doubt about it. Before we get out of here, Daryl, I know we haven't touched much on the Eagles game on Monday night and what the Giants can do to be competitive, um, but what are your just big picture thoughts on that game on Monday? How do you see it playing out? I think it's going to be well, – I think I sent my pick in for that game to our uh, – we submit them to the guys who, who gather up the picks for our staff. Uh I think I picked the Giants to get just just steamrolled, maybe forty-two to ten. Uh, I but that was before the Jones news came out. I don't know, man. I just they can't stop anybody yeah. right now. They well, neither can the Eagles. Let's be fair; they gave up, I believe, thirty-eight so, points to Miami on the road. Um, so that defense is a sieve as well, just so like maybe the Giants. Thirty-five, twenty-four, or something like that. It could be a fairly high-scoring game, yeah. you know, Considering how bad these defenses have been. Yeah, I had the I had the Eagles winning this one, thirty-one to twenty-three, before Jones got hurt. I backed that down to thirty-three to sixteen as the final score with with Eli Manning being in there, and you know, you just look at the track record, Eli Manning's. Lost five games in a row. The Giants haven't won in Philadelphia since November 6th of 2016. Mike Garofalo pointed that out the other day on Twitter. So it's kind of a, a confluence of, of uh, futility, if you will, and the chance to lose nine games in a row, which I think is going to happen. Um, I just think the Eagles... I don't think they're going to make the postseason, but I think they're the more talented team right no, now on yeah. both sides of the football than what the Giants no, are. And no. talent matters in this league. The Giants right now, Daryl, no talent, poor coaching, no identity. That's how I look at this team right now. Poor coaching, no talent, no identity. 
Other than that, Miss Lincoln, I mean, that's that's hard to overcome. That's hard to overcome, and, and I don't think they overcome it on Monday. I think it'll be nine straight losses. You know, maybe they snap the skid against Miami the following week, but who knows? Maybe in that game, people might be doing the old flying banners thing to get Shermer out. I don't think they need to fly banners, folks. Don't spend. You don't need to spend your money on banners on banner planes. to convince the ownership that Pat Shermer needs to go because the results of the games are probably going to take care of that for you. Well, Daryl, it's Groundhog Day. Again, and I have a feeling we're going to be doing the same podcast next week, breaking down Pat Shermer's future. Uh, any parting shots or final thoughts before we get out of here? No, I, I, I think that this this thing is, is going to get ugly before it gets better in the big picture for the Giants. Uh, you know, like I said, there are no guarantees this team is in position to do anything next year. So, folks, you know, just brace yourself for what's going to be a fairly long rebuild because unless they fully commit to this and they didn't fully commit to it, um, you know, it, that that's what it takes to go to go and get this thing done in terms of a rebuild. you got to go through some pain, and um, and that's certainly what they're doing right now, and I think there's a chance that this carries over to next year. Big picture prediction for me, I think the Giants lose Monday night, and I think they lose to Miami. And if they lose yeah. to the Dolphins, Daryl, I think you and I are in Landover, Maryland, and it's either Thomas McGahee or Mike Shula, who are the off, who's the head coach yep. of this team for the final two games of the year against Washington and the Eagles to close yep. it out. Sounds that's my right. prediction. Yep. So he's Daryl Slater. Check him out on Twitter, at Daryl Slater. I'm Matt Lombardo at Matt Lombardo NFL on Twitter. Um, enjoy the weekend, and we'll talk to you next week right here on NJ.com.